Welcome to the Gutenberg Podcast, where we discuss the great works and ideas that have influenced Western civilization. Today, my guest is Sydney Swanson, who occasionally comes in to talk to uh, the students about theater, which is sort of her speciality. She is married to Chris Swanson and spends most of her time writing young adult novels and tells me that she has over two dozen that she's written now. Today we're going to be talking about Greek theater in keeping with these last couple of weeks. We've been moving through sort of very early civilization with the readings of Gilgamesh and talking about polytheism. And it's finally time to talk about Athenian culture and Greek theater from Sydney. Thank you. What can you tell us about the experience of going to the Greek theater? Well, it would not resemble much of anything that we do nowadays when we think about going to the theater, and unless you've gone to something like Shakespeare in the Park, where, you know, an outdoor event. So that's one of the main things that would be different then and now. Theater happened outdoors, happened outside in a space that was uh, created for it, had incredible acoustics. So in the sense that it's a row of seats and there's a stage in front, those would be the things that we would immediately recognize. Oh, I'm in a theater, but it's going to be outside. So that's going to be a big, a big change. And you're limited to the kind of light that the sun provides. There is no stage lighting. So you're going to be doing theater in daytime instead of having it be an event that you go to at night. So uh, sort of beyond the location of the Greek theater, what other sort of trappings of, you know, scenery or costuming or things like that can you tell us about that would be similar or different from what we would be sure. today? Yeah. Well, one thing to, to keep in mind, and I'm going to sidetrack just a little bit here, is that uh, going to theater in Greece happens at very specific times during the year. And if you're living in Athens, it happens twice a year during one of two festivals. And these are festivals that are celebrating the gods, um, especially the, the big one was the city Dionysia, which was a week-long event to praise and worship Dionysius. And um, so because of that, you've got all kinds of things happening that aren't sitting down in front of a theater and watching a play. So in, in that sense, again, it's a really different kind of experience from anything that we have. But there were at least three days that were reserved for tragedies and then a and later, there was a fourth day that was for comedies. Mm. And so your question then, going back to, to costumes um, and sets, the, the location was very specifically uh, used for theatrical performances. Um, but there were a couple of other things that happened on stage too. Um, there was a big sacrifice of a bull that kind of kicked the event off and um, sanctified the theater to Dionysius. Um, there were things like uh, the presentation of the wealth of Athens. So any prizes that they might have captured in ward that year got paraded across the stage. Um, presentation of the youth of uh, any generals who had died or um, important soldiers who had died. They would be marched across the stage. So you've got a lot of things happening on that mm -hmm. stage that mm -hmm. are really different from what we would think of 
And then as far as costumes go, from what we can tell, they were pretty much wearing what they would wear um, in everyday life. Mm -hmm. So there is, in ancient Greece, there's a correct way to dress, mm -hmm. and there are lots of barbarian ways to dress. Uh -huh. So if you're going to be putting a play on, you're going to be dressed as a proper Athenian. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the big thing that probably would stand out to all of us and it would be that they're they're wearing masks. Mm -hmm. So and the mask is meant to um, make sure that as viewers we're not confused by the individuality of the actor. Mm -hmm. Rather we're looking at something that's representative of the kinds of things that we all share. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're invited to make this experience something that could happen to any of us mm -hmm. sitting in the theater. So it's very typical to sort of see, you know, the picture of the masks with the smile or the frown. Is that the sort of masks that they yeah, would be wearing? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. The ones that I've actually seen, um, you know, that are as old extant versions as we have will often have kind of a, a wide open mouth, almost mm -hmm. like the shape of the letter O. Mm -hmm. And you're gonna get you're gonna get better sound coming through a mask sure. that's that looks like that. And it and it kind of has a neutral appearance so that mm -hmm. when the character's real agitated, you're going, oh, look at him, he looks so agitated. Or when they're very sorrowful, oh, they look so sorrowful. And and so this one mask with kind of a neutral face almost, mm -hmm. and this big round O for a mouth, mm -hmm. it really can work for a lot of different emotional yeah. content depending on what's being said. So, you know, these these days, uh, a lot of things that we watch tend to be less in theater. It's more, you know, streaming and things like this. And uh, there was this big question when Mandalorian was playing, sort of how is he going to emote sort of wearing this mask, right? This is always the question when you film people in masks is sort of how do you how do you get the emotions out right. of your actor without being able to sort of see their, you know, their eyes in particular and their mouths. Um, and you know, certain certain masks will sort of have have it will slide parts away or mm -hmm. things like that. Were these masks such that you would still be able to see their eyes and they just sort of flattened the rest of the face? So it was like, I don't recognize this person, but I can still sort of read their emotions. Or was there a lot more sort of... It's sort highly of likely that you could not see their eyes because yeah. you've got at least 10,000 people sitting down to yeah. watch a play. So it's a big theater. And, you know, if somebody's not looking directly at you and if you're not in those mm. first few rows, you're probably not going to see eyes. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, either it worked for you or it didn't in right. The Mandalorian. The one time that I've seen a completely masked drama, it absolutely worked for me. Sure. I just I fell into it so quickly mm. that during the first break when all the actors were off the stage, I had to remind myself, oh, wait. That should have been really weird. <laughs> and yet it wasn't. Yeah, I, yeah. I felt like I understood exactly who was feeling what. Sure. Yeah. Do you think that, so a lot of what people resort to is things like pantomime or big sort of body movements and those sorts of things. Is that the sort of thing that this production used? Do you imagine that's sort of similar to what they would have done back in the day? Um, the one that I saw didn't have a ton of big gesture. They really were relying on the voice. And, and I mean, they absolutely had blocking happening, mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't, it wasn't big or overblown at all. Mm -hmm. If anything, it was kind of subtle. 
Um, I'm sure there are a lot of ways that that place could be done. And that's going to be the director or the actors sure. that are doing it that will make those decisions. And we we don't really have a lot of information about sure. what it would have been like in Athens. Um, although we do know that to be a member of the chorus, you had to be an incredible gymnast as well as an incredible vocalist. So the kinds of performing that chorus members were doing, it's like a big dance number, oh. you know, highly choreographed. Yeah. And then also to be able to to have a pleasant voice that carries sure, really well. Sure. So yeah, when you when you read uh Greek drama or or comedies, there are these sort of they are very similar in our sort of theatrical language to a to a a, a musical number mm -hmm. right you have the actors sort of playing off the chorus or another actor and that'll go back and forth and then there'll sort of be a pause and then the chorus will talk about stuff for a while and one could imagine that would have us you know that's the closest thing that we have is sort of okay we're going to have this musical number now is that right or do you think that there's sort of a difference there that we should appreciate oh i we think were... i think the analogy is really good yeah. um in that in a broadway musical for instance there's a lot of important information that's conveyed whether it's purely emotional in content or whether it is and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened you know that can vary a lot yeah. but the chorus those big musical numbers are always going to be conveying big chunks of important information mm -hmm. and that's really that would be very similar to what you what you see when you take a look at greek uh plays mm -hmm. Okay, so you've got this chorus who have to be really good vocalists and really good gymnasts. So then what does the rest of the cast sort of look like? Do you have, you know, you know, we have we have tons and tons of actors who are credited in our plays nowadays. Would that have been similar or or are they doing something different? As very different, something very yeah. different. So Aristotle and other ancient writers will talk about Thespis having been the first actor. And we get our word thespian from that. So here's Thespis. It's the city Dionysia, this big celebration and praise and worship of Dionysius. And there is a march through the city where um, groups of people are singing hymns dithrams and supposedly thespis jumps up on a cart and starts reciting poetry on his own as if he's acting out the the part of each of the speakers and that is the supposed origin of of actors the first actor so then they don't take the show on the road so much as they take the show off the road and, <laughs> and into the theater. Yeah. And then uh, you have then uh, for early Greek plays, you've got a chorus of 12 or possibly 24 um, actors and who all speak together. And then you've got one actor who doesn't speak at the same time as mm -hmm. the chorus. Mm -hmm. So that's your that's what we think of as an actor, right. a main character, if you will. And then Aeschylus um, is credited. He's an early playwright, and he won a lot of prizes at these these uh, annual events. And he is credited with writing the first play where you've got two of these actors, two main characters who speak to each other, who speak to the chorus, who speak to the audience. And that's a very different experience from mm -hmm. just having one 
But you're right. We're used to thinking, you know, if you go and watch a Shakespeare play, there's what? There's a dozen sure. named roles at least. Right. Um, in Greek theater, it was a big deal when they introduced that second actor and an even bigger deal when they introduced a third. Yeah. And that was the most they ever had would yeah. be three three actors portraying roles on stage at one time. Now they might portray more than one role. Okay. So you would have this sort of thing, you know, the very famous one is in Hamlet. You have uh, the ghost is played by the same actor who plays Claudius. Claudius, right? yeah, that, that's that, often done yeah, that so, way. So there's yeah. there's a couple of roles like that that are very famous in, in our theater culture where it's like this person also plays this other and they get sort of credited. But in Greek theater, if you were going to have more characters you have to sort of split those roles up between your three mm -hmm. yep. actors. Would you tend to have one actor who sort of was, I don't know, like the protagonist who would just stay in as far one as role, we know, and yeah. then you just rotate through the other two? To get yeah, as far as we your, know, yeah. like the person who is portraying Oedipus, the king, mm -hmm. he, that's all he's doing. Yeah. He's not also stepping in later as Jocasta sure. or Creon. Sure. And, and and that play is a good example of one that has several roles that would mm -hmm. have been, you know, so they would have been rotating through the, mm -hmm. I guess it would be the other two actors then mm -hmm. who aren't Oedipus. They right. would be the ones who right. have multiple roles. Well, so I think about the, the Agamemnon, you have the, I guess it would be Clytemnestra who's mm -hmm. sort of the protagonist because she shows up early in the play mm -hmm. and then she comes out later. And then, so your Agamemnon and the messengers and the, all of those people would be your other actors uh, even though Clytemnestra isn't necessarily on stage the whole yeah, time. Yeah, that's like an interesting Oedipus question. Is. I don't know how they would have cast sure. that or split that up. Um, and I, I don't know that anybody's ever um, written on that or addressed that issue. But sure. because she's not on stage um, for large portions of mm -hmm. the play, it's quite possible that she also portrayed somebody else. She couldn't have portrayed Cassandra because she and sure. Cassandra are on stage at the same right. time. But other than that, I mean, it's anyone's right. guess, really. Yeah. You know, famously Shakespeare, all of all of his characters are played by men. Right? Mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of to do about that sort of thinking historically about uh, Shakespeare. Um, is that the same for the Greeks, or did absolutely? They have, yeah. Yep. No women allowed to perform on uh -huh. stage, and uh -huh. this is part of a. It's a very serious event. It's a religious celebration, and women just were not. It was not felt that that was appropriate for them to be sure. on stage in um, that kind of role. Would you have had women in the audience or part of the festival? Yeah. So there's a lot of debate about that. The truth is we probably don't know. Mm. Um, and in the 19th century, especially, they love to debate. Women were allowed in the theater as audience members, yay or nay. And uh -huh. But uh -huh. probably they were. Uh -huh. um, it kind of seems like what scant evidence we have points to um, there being women in the audience. Of mm -hmm. course, you know, as a, a wife or young mother, you might have things to do that would prevent you from being sure. at an eight hour, eight to 12 hour event right. all day long. Right. So as a man, you probably were freer to, mm -hmm. to have that kind of time on your mm -hmm. hands and, um, and spend it in the theater. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about the chorus. We've talked about the act, the the separate non-chorus people who are the actors. Um, we've talked about the costuming. Um, would they do any sort of like 
set dressing would they have sets would they have backgrounds of any kind or how did that what did that look? yeah good you question know, yeah. um so we do know that they eventually by the time the um performances are kind of at their height the, the golden age of greek theater if you will we know that they flew people on and off set so they've got advanced mechanized you know they've got things in the background uh -huh. that uh -huh. require some engineering and you could then swoop the gods in uh -huh. from the heavens or, you know, carry someone off to the heavens. And that's where we get our deus ex machina. Mm -hmm. This yep. idea of God yep. and the machine is they had a machine. That, that delivered the God yes, <laughs> to yes. save the day. Yeah, exactly. Um, we know that there were some stages that rotated. Um, and certainly there were um, pieces of scenery that could be moved to either side, but it's all very minimal at this time. Sure. Um, we're not talking about, you know, painted sets so that, oh, look, we're in an Athenian forest, not right. not even remotely. Right. I mean, you've got pretty much if you if you Google theater of Dionysius in Athens, you'll see pretty much what what they had. I mean, that theater is built much later, but um it, it, it's sort of in the yeah, same style. that's going to give you the idea. Yeah. So we've talked about sort of, yeah, what it is like to go to the theater and what the theater looks like and, and sort of that event. So it's a religious festival, but the, the playwrights don't always stick to sort of strictly religious sort of, I mean, as soon as you have a, a, an actor coming out and sort of drawing attention to themselves, you sort of moved away from just singing sort of devotion right. songs. So did they see plays as an opportunity to do the same sorts of things that our theater culture sort of does? In some ways, yes. Uh -huh. um, when, when I try to describe what, uh, what the event of going to theater in ancient Greece was like, I like to say that it kind of, if you can imagine combining three things from, from our culture, so one of them would be the editorial page of a newspaper. And I know more and more we don't have actual physical papers anymore. But sure. if you can hold in your mind the idea of the editorial page, uh -huh. where strong, strongly held opinions uh -huh. are expressed, and sometimes they're very contrasting opinions on the same you know, page. Uh -huh. So if you think of an event that would include that kind of dialogue, what you'd see uh -huh. on an editorial page, and also a major religious holiday celebration, mm -hmm. like, um, you know, Easter church service, uh -huh. something like that. And if you then threw in on top of it something that affects an entire culture the way, say, the Super Bowl affects uh, those of us in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Well, World Cup is on right now, so that's sure. <laughs> maybe also a, a good analogy. But if you were to combine the experience of attending World Cup and an Easter service and reading the editorial page on the on the paper that's that's kind of what the experience of Greek theater is like in mm -hmm. its in its cultural setting so it's a it is an opportunity for the whole community to come together mm -hmm. and praise one of their gods mm -hmm. it is an opportunity for um, a culture that loved to speak and debate mm -hmm. and um, argue mm -hmm. to have a chance to do that through mm -hmm. a story and of course, story can be one of the most effective ways of making a point, um, getting your point across, um, or sharing a, a sharing a contrary point of view that can be done very effectively through story. And I think they were masters of that and recognized yeah. that. And then it's a competition. Mm -hmm. 
And it's the biggest competition of the year in the way that Super Bowl or World Cup would be. So it's yeah. got that kind of relevance within its yeah. culture. Yeah. So I, I, I can't imagine an event like that. I think right. it must have been, um, it would be a big deal, but you'd be lot, waiting. That's a lot wrapped up in. Yeah. yeah. We have a lot more diffuse sort of. That's a good way to put it. Yep. Celebration in our. Uh huh. You know. Um, so the Dionysus is the god of wine. Presumably this has something to do with harvest. You know, the celebration is taking place at harvest. So you wouldn't need farmers to be out in the field. So you said, so this is the community to come together. Would that include sort of the lower classes that would be doing the farming and things? Sure. Like that? Yeah. Um, the state sponsored the events. So you didn't have to buy a ticket. You did have to get a ticket. Um, but you didn't have to pay for it because the state is sponsoring the event. And so whether you were a slave holding someone's seat at three in the morning so that when the play starts at six or seven in the morning, you know, you, you're holding the seats for your family that you belong to, or, or whether you're a very wealthy person, pretty much, you know, the entire spectrum of, of, uh, cultures and occupations. Um, everybody came to the theater. So it wasn't just limited to for, like voting citizens, for instance, no. which is a much mm -mm. more limited sort of group. The examples that we have of drama are largely Athenian drama that you know of. Do we have any drama that's from other uh, polises in ancient Greece, or is it all exclusively Athenian? What we have, as far as I know, is Athenian drama. Do we know if anybody else did these sort of things and we just don't have it? Or was this a special sort of? Well, they're, they're the ones that originated it, for sure. Um, we do know that there's theaters built throughout the Roman Empire later. Mm -hmm. And there are theaters in other parts of the ancient world besides Athens. But Athens is where it all started. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, so, there, so the story goes that an outlying city... Um, created a statue of Dionysius and presented it to Athens. And the Athenians very snobbishly said, we don't want your ugly statue of Dionysius or something along those lines and rejected it. So however they did it, they rejected the statue. So then um, the story goes that Dionysius um, calls a curse down on them and all the male genitalia becomes infected and it doesn't get better until they agree to have the statue come back. And then just to make sure that nothing like this ever happens again, they hold this festival annually, the city Dionysius, celebrating Dionysius. And so so we have the Dionysia, which is this festival to Dionysus. And then you said there were two of them. Yeah. What's the other one? Sure. So um, there's a there's a rural Dionysia that's celebrated a couple of months, I think two months prior to the February March celebration of the city Dionysia, and then there's also the the Linnea, and I I do not remember what month that happens in. I think it happens in December. Um, it's a month where everyone is getting married. And so that festival was more in celebration of of marriage. So those would be the two the two big ones that happen in Athens are the city Dionysia and the Linnea. And the rural Dionysia is happening outside of town. 
and is one of them clear is the Dionysia like clearly the bigger event it's the big event okay. yep it's the big event of the year it's the one that um, during that time of year you could actually travel if you were coming from another country you could travel during that time of year whereas during the time that the Linnea is presented traveling really isn't possible because it's just too stormy you're sure, gonna drown sure. if you get out there in a boat on the Mediterranean at that time of year so um, so the Dionysia then also is an opportunity for Athens to kind of show off a little bit. They're showboating. <laughs> so that so that goes to this next question, but you can fill in more details. What did Athens get out of this? So the exposure and the prize sort of uh, uh, parade and the 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 children of the famous generals and, and no more visiting of sickness. Yeah, you know that's so, so the <laughs> that's so the religious, that's a big one. Yeah, so you mentioned in, you mentioned in passing a little bit earlier that you have seen a production of a Greek tra a Greek tragedy, right? Can you talk a little bit about that experience and sure. how that might have been? You know, if someone if if someone goes by their local theater or, a th a, you know, a theater, they hear, you know, somewhere in their state, there's going to be a big festival and they're going to recreate, <laughs> you know, one of the, one of these, uh, series of Greek plays. What should they expect? And how is that going to be similar to their experience they might have with other theater? How might that be different? Sure. And yeah. Just talk about your experience. Well, there. when I went to see a, uh, production. It was in London at the National Theatre, and it was the Orestes Trilogy, uh, or the Oresteia. And all I knew going in was that it was going to be an eight-hour event. And I had been to one eight-hour theater event in my life already. I had been to the York Mystery Plays about two or three years before the, the Greek play that I saw. And so I, I had an idea of what we were in for. I don't think anybody else that was in my class had any <laughs> idea what they were in for. But, you know, you, you kind of have to plan ahead, make sure you got some snacks uh -huh. and that you have something arranged for dinner, you know, during your little break that you get. Um, but what I, what I chiefly remember is that the first two plays were done before I was even ready for things to be done. And, and we, we had our dinner break between you've got one, you've got the first play, the second play, and the third play. And so we had this dinner break in between the second and the third. And I just remember thinking, oh, no, I don't want it to be over because it was incredibly well performed. Mm -hmm. I had had super low expectations. So mm -hmm. that could have colored the event for me a little bit because I'm sure. thinking, you know, are you kidding me? Eight hours of Greek theater. I don't know. But yeah, it was very compelling, um, completely captured my imagination. And, um, and this is with masks. And this is me. I really was into costume. I later went on to get a degree, um, a master's degree in, in costume because that was something that I enjoyed so much. And the costumes in this production were absolutely as plain and bland as, as can be. And the actors all had masks. Mm -hmm. And yet it was compelling yeah. drama, yeah. which, you know, I, I mean, no wonder it won the prize. Of course sure. it won the prize for sure. that year. Sure. It was a really good, really good series of plays. So 
is it the case that you know of that these sorts of productions only happen sort of with larger venues that can sort of yeah i mean who else could afford to do something like that honestly and who could um have any kind of assurance that they're going to get people that are going to show up and pay for it well the national theater in london people are probably going to come and check out what you're what you're producing there so i think they uh, had the ability to do that whereas you know, most small theater companies, they're not going to be able to take a risk like that, yeah. especially you, for eight hours. Yeah. Do you know if they do see that if people will produce sort of single plays? Yeah. Yeah. You'll. That's um, more common, yeah. So the way that the plays were written for quite a long time um, during that golden age period of, of ancient Greece was uh, as a series of three plays that were connected and then and they were tragic, always a tragedy. And then at the end of that, you would have a satyr play to kind of get everybody laughing. And satyr plays are for a little burlesque and political invective and bodily humor. Um, and so it would kind of be the thing that would be at the end so that everybody has something to um, kind of take them out of that really sad funk that the tragedy has left them with. So that was how how performances started as time went on, though there were playwrights who felt free to uh, write pieces that were unconnected. So three different dramas that weren't connected to one another. And you'll definitely see um, just, you know, one production produced nowadays. You're probably most likely to have an opportunity to see Oedipus Rex, Oedipus the King, um, that's going to be one that you're likely to be able to see. Um, Trojan, the tro- Antigone, Antigone, yeah. mm-hmm. um, the Trojan women. Yeah. Um, so you know there are, are a handful of probably probably three or four um, that are likely to be produced at any time. Although you know a university theater might be one of those venues where they're willing to take a little bit more of a risk, produce something that's not produced as often. Um, you know, if if for no other reason than for pedagogical reasons, um, I although I think it's always more than that. You know, sure, if you're going to sure. go to the effort. Well, one of the things that so I teach, uh, you know, I've taught high school and middle school students, and it's you know the Oresteia is the only extant trilogy mm, mm-hmm. that we actually have, mm-hmm. and sometimes they will package. Uh, Sophocles's Oedipus plays together, mm-hmm. but they were actually not meant to be. They're not the, right. They're not they were part done the in yeah different. Trilogy. They were done in different years, different festivals. Yeah. But the thing that I always tell my students is, you know, if you like to collect things, right, the the easiest thing to do is go read all of Jane Austen's novels because there's six, you know, or so that you can go sort of. But you can read because we only have like. 15 ex- mm-hmm. something like yeah. that it's a very limited number of extant plays we know of a lot more mm-hmm. because we have people who said oh yes and then there was this play and it was wonderful or whatever yeah we and, have- and we know who won for right. you know many many of the years we've got the winner in the name of the play that they won with right. so yeah so even if you may not be able to see a live production accessing sort of the wealth of greek drama is totally possible and is doesn't require you to just read volumes and volumes and volumes because we just don't have that many mm-hmm. left. Yeah. So 
Well, Sydney, I think this has been a great conversation. Thank you for uh, coming and sharing your knowledge of the Greek theater with us and how that was the same in some ways and different. And again, if people are interested in sort of learning more about Greek theater, we at Gutenberg believe the best way is to go read the books. And it's a very sort of approachable challenge to sort of read uh, the whole of Greek theater if you sort of are interested in that sort of thing. If you have questions or comments for us, you can uh, reach us at podcasts at gutenberg.edu. Uh, that's podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at G-U-T-E-N-B-E-R-G dot E-D-U. And once again, Sydney, thank you so much for your time. And we hope you guys will listen to the next one.